Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The, the deal when Pete Kermanis bought the team was basically structured to move the team out of town. It wasn't wasn't the kind of deal that uh, uh, should have been uh, constructed in order to keep it there. Raleigh is in the final two in the hunt for the Whalers. This trip by owner Peter Carmanos and the Whalers Brass affirms our area's shot at the NHL. You know, we, we had a lot of guys from ESPN that we would hang out a lot, play some golf together. I used to play with Carl Ravitch, Mike Tirico. So we would, we would spend time, but yeah, they were asking questions too. Steve Levy, like all those guys that, that uh, you know, that you still see on TV to this day, but those were the guys that were passionate about the Whalers and, and uh, they even wanted to know what was happening. At the end of the day, you always thought they were gonna come to a deal. Today, the Carolina Hurricanes unveil the team's new logo. A rough and tumble, hockey-solid red and black look. I was at the very first game uh, the first year in Carolina, and I interviewed uh, Jim Rutherford in the owner's box with the time I was sitting there, and I asked him, you know, why, why are we uh, anywhere but Hartford? Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast with your host, Adam Gold. The Canes Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. And now, here's Adam. The Carolina Hurricanes have packed a lot of history into their franchise as we ready a 25th anniversary celebration. It was, of course, the Stanley Cup Championship of 2006, the pinnacle of the entire sport. But there was also the improbable run to the 2002 Finals, which included that Game 1 overtime goal from Ron Francis, that planted that miracle seed in the minds of hockey fans around the globe. There were conference finals appearances in 2009 and 2019, but there was also a decade-long playoff drought. Hi, this is Adam Gold, and with the Hurricanes riding the crest of four straight years of postseason hockey, it's easy to forget where they came from. That where was Hartford, Connecticut, the capital of the nutmeg state. Caught just about dead in the middle between Boston and New York City, and their millions of rabid sports fans. The Whalers had a cult following of sorts, not tons of fans, but thousands of people who took ownership of their team and a team that represented their community and a community that loved them back. Not unlike their new home of Raleigh, North Carolina, if you think about it. So for the next several weeks, we'll celebrate the move, remember the people, and honor the memories of where it all began. Officially, the Whalers announced that they were leaving Hartford March 26, 1997, just a few years after Peter Carmanos became the club's owner. Adding to the oddities, there were still nine games, including four remaining at home in the regular season. 
and it would be a month and a half before they announced where they were headed. Jim Rutherford was the team's general manager at the time of the move, and in his opinion, this was something that was set in place well before it was executed. The the deal, original deal, when Pete Kermanis bought the team was basically structured to move the team out of town. It wasn't wasn't the kind of deal that should have been uh, constructed in order to keep it there. And it was based on the losses, which they already knew, based on the economics of that market, that you're going to reach the, the, the losses to trigger uh, the option of moving. And those losses were reached within three years instead of four years. Now, the state could have forced uh, uh, Pete to stay in Hartford another year, but things things weren't going to change unless a new arena was going to be built. Hartford, I feel very bad for Hartford still to this day because they really had a real core of, of hockey fans there. And uh, if the team was a little bit better at that time, uh, you know, the attendance would have been better. But the downfall had nothing to do with the hockey fans. It was the corporate community which was really driven by the insurance company in the heyday, uh, in their heydays of the 80s. And they had a, a very vibrant uh, economic community at that time with a lot of insurance companies. But over time, going into the 90s, some of those insurance companies left Hartford. Uh, some of them merged. And from a corporate community point of view, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't big enough to be able to help an NHL franchise. And, and, and that was unfortunate. It wasn't uh, anything that anybody could do about it at that time. It was just the way everything went. But to this day, I feel bad for those people in Hartford because there were a lot of great hockey fans there. Funny thing about those fans, you know a lot of them because so many of them worked at ESPN and were neighbors of some of the players, like Hurricanes legend Glenn Wesley. I had a, a, a real close friend, Carl Ravitch, who was the ESPN, and he was two doors down from me, and we, we used to play a lot of golf together. So, you know, we, we had a lot of guys from ESPN that we would hang out a lot, play some golf together. I used to play with Carl Ravitch, Mike Tirico. So we would we would spend time. But yeah, they were asking questions too. Steve Levy, like all those guys that, that – uh, you know, that you still see on TV to this day, but those were the guys that were passionate about the Whalers, and and uh, they even wanted to know what was happening. Longtime TV voice John Forslund got his start with the Whalers a few years before Carmanus bought the team and was always wary of underlying problems. I got the job in Hartford in July of 91, so this predates Peter Carmanus. It gets to Richard Gordon's ownership, And there were all kinds of um, speculation about the owner not being happy with the arrangement and kind of showcasing his team to suitors in Minnesota and elsewhere to move the team and use it as leverage against the government to get what they wanted. So I think from the very beginning, there was some type of um, cloud over the franchise. Was it like a slow death yeah, that's a good way to phrase it, a slow death. I, I think it was. I think it was something that was brewing. Some people buried their heads in the sand and thought it would go away. And the fans really were the ones who are always the victim in situations like this. 
but certainly were the victims in a situation like this because they were used along the way to kind of prop it up, to put it in a better position to keep it there, which is not unusual. So that's that's where you kind of feel really bad. But I think it was dying a slow death. It had to be addressed. The league had to address a few things too. These things were um, kind of tied together, what was going on in the NHL in terms of collective bargaining and a new commissioner and where he wanted to take franchises as opposed to where they were. So I think all of this was a kind of a negative, perfect storm. Chris Brown was the team's director of media relations at the time of the move. The negotiations were going on with the state of Connecticut. And um, what Mr. Carmanis was trying to do with the whole arena deal in Hartford was make it, you know, realistic and more favorable to succeed. Um, and, and, and those negotiations just started to fall apart. And I think one of the biggest you know, misnomers out there is that, that Pete didn't want to stay in Hartford. He did. He just, he needed a, he needed a situation where he could be successful. And, um, so governor Roland, I believe was, was a governor at the time. He just didn't see fit that, that Hart, the NHL and the Hartford Whalers were a priority, unfortunately. So we started hearing rumors that, you know, we could go to Minnesota, we could go to Las Vegas. We could go to to Carolina. Um, so started hearing those rumors probably in the spring of, of our final season. The unusual thing was that there was a gap between leaving Hartford and then finding out where you were going. So what was that period like? What was that last game in Hartford like? Well, the interesting thing is, if I remember correctly, the 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 news the story that the whalers were actually leaving hartford um was leaked and then announced by a political reporter in hartford our sports guys didn't get the scoop and and uh mike a race is, is still a little upset with hartford current that that he didn't get that lead i hadn't obviously no idea because i i wasn't at that level um so to find out that the negotiation had broken off and we were going somewhere else was um, was definitely a you know a shocker. It wasn't something that we didn't expect, but it was still because it happened. I think a couple hours after one of our regular season games, um, and so there was that finality of it all. Um, the final game in Hartford, it's still it's still tough for me because you saw grown men crying. Because it was the last time they're going to cheer for their team, right. and they cheered for them since they were six, seven years old. So, I still, when they do Hartford night in Carolina, I I have mixed emotions on it because I know there's a lot of people that they lost their team, so it was tough. Rich Coppola was the sports director of Fox 61 in Hartford at the time. The feeling I got from. Uh, people involved, not necessarily just all government people, is that uh, one of the things that would happen is Carmanos would say he wanted A, B, and C, and then they would produce A, B, and C. All of a sudden, he wanted D, E, and F. Um, I just think he he wanted out, um, and no matter what they did, I don't think they were going to stay. I was at the very first game uh, the first year in Carolina. And I interviewed uh, Jim Rutherford in the owner's box with Carmano sitting there. And I asked him, you know, why, why are we 
uh, anywhere but Hartford right now. And uh, Rutherford, who I, I really liked a lot, had a great respect for, he kind of passed it on to, you know, that uh, this one particular person in government should have locked us in a room until we had a deal. You know, that wasn't that wasn't the case. Um, but what could he what could he say? The only radio voice the Whalers and Hurricanes ever had is Chuck Caton. Behind the microphone from the time the Whalers joined the NHL after being born in the upstart WHA in the early 1970s, he reflected on the circumstances. It was devastating, first of all, and I remember uh, being in Jim Rutherford's office uh, right around the time all of the rumors were circulating around the move, Um, and of course it was about a new building and that type of thing, and I really didn't believe it. Uh, I really thought that it would not happen. I thought that there would be some resolution that... uh, uh, somehow the state of Connecticut would help Peter Carmanos build a building and they'd have the revenue streams to be able to exist in the NHL. And when it didn't happen, I got the word uh, from Jim himself. And I, he said, well, you're going to come with us, aren't you? I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, I had two years left on my contract at that time. And he was always good to me. And, and so, But it was devastating news. And the reality really set in when I talked to Chris Berman who was a, an advisor at the time uh, with the, the KTR group. Uh, and uh, he basically gave me the, uh, the heads up that things weren't going well with the negotiations between the state of Connecticut and Peter Carmanos and, and the team. So kind of had an inkling back in late March of 97 that it was going to happen. Was there a lead up to this? Were there rumblings in recent years and it was at a time where the nhl was seeing a lot of franchise relocation well i mean you had uh the year before that of course uh with uh colorado and mm-hmm. arizona the year before that so i mean you saw the winnipeg jets leaving to go to arizona uh the uh, quebec nordiques to, to colorado so the handwriting was on the wall i think for me the handwriting was on the wall when we had a lot of turmoil in management prior to Peter Carmanos buying the team. And when he came in and made a four-year commitment to the city of Hartford at the time, I thought, well, uh, this is good, but uh, this is a Mm -hmm. limited-time effort for the fans to show up, A, or the team to turn around and be a a perennial playoff team so that attendance would, uh, you know, be sufficient enough to stay and, of course, the economics, Adam, were changing in the NHL. I think the, the the Whalers were victims of that as well. I mean, things were getting very costly way before the salary cap era. And even if there were a salary cap, which is about $90 million now, or will be, I, I still don't think the team would have survived in Hartford. After the break, it starts to become apparent that Raleigh, North Carolina, has a real shot to hit the big time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
Raleigh is in the final two in the hunt for the Whalers. This trip by owner Peter Carmanos and the Whalers Brass affirms our area's shot at the NHL. It's a follow-up visit for the Whalers owner. He visited Raleigh two weeks ago for an aerial view of the arena site and to talk with Capital Broadcasting about a TV deal. I've just gotten in town, all right, and uh, uh, as I was leaving town, the Columbus people were saying, really, we're number one, aren't we, Pete? So, uh, and the answer I gave them is the same one I'll give you. We're trying to do an objective review of the two places that I have picked as uh, uh, potential uh, places to relocate at and uh, be better prepared to answer that question after we've gone back, had a chance to evaluate things. WRAL's Mark Roberts, who will play a much larger role in the inaugural season for the Hurricanes, was on that report. But Caton realized early on that this was not going to end in central Ohio. The day after the announcement was made, which was on March 26th, mm-hmm. uh, the day after the Colorado game, I got a phone call from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, a talk show person in Columbus wanted to do an interview with me about the Whalers' possible move to Columbus because it had been thought that uh, Peter Carmanos, who had ties, of course, to the Midwest, being from Detroit. So it fit that Columbus was a place that he wanted to have a team, except they didn't have a building. And what we didn't find out later was, uh, and then I got another anonymous phone call after I was on this talk show, and it came from a business person, and he got my phone number from the host at WBNS. He calls my house after I'm on the air with the, the, the host, and he says, you know what? You've been fooled. They're not moving to Columbus, and here's why. One, two, three, four points that he made, and he must have been very connected because I took that, filed it, and I thought to my wife, we're not moving to Columbus because I believe this guy. He's making a lot of sense. The first thing on his list was that the business community did not want to relocate a team. They wanted an expansion team. That turned out to be true, didn't it, three years later with the Blue Jackets. Uh, they did not have a building, and they were never going to finance a building as Peter Carmanos wanted. The other rumor was Minnesota, who had lost their team in 93 to Dallas, and we also saw what happened that year. Same thing. And behind it all is the commissioner of the NHL, my good friend Gary Bettman, who I think was pushing for those to be two areas of expansion. So there wasn't going to be a way that the league was going to allow Peter Carmanos to move to either Columbus or Minnesota. So the third surfaced city was Raleigh. And I'm thinking, well, it can't be Raleigh. It's got to be either Columbus or Minnesota. But as time went on in that six-week period that you're talking about, it became more and more evident that uh, the Whalers were going to move to the triangle. WRAL sports anchor Jeff Gravley. You know, the Hartford situation was unfolding and, all of a sudden, you know, we're you start to hear something in March that the Whalers are going to leave, and then you and it was in May when it was announced that they're coming to Raleigh, and then it was in the fall that they started playing in Greensboro. Yes, that was a a very complex puzzle to put together, but you know it happened so quickly and so fast in '97 that it's hard to believe that you had an announcement and you also had games being played as the Carolina Hurricanes uh, in the same year. Today, the Carolina Hurricanes unveil the team's new logo, a rough and tumble hockey solid red and black look. 
I think it's great. I think uh, you know that's a first step in uh, in uh, uh, establishing identity to the organization, and uh, now it's the job of us as players to turn it into a logo to be proud of. Over the past couple of weeks, players, coaches, and team officials have been in the Triangle area searching for a place to live. Today's logo unveiling reinforces just how fast this hurricane is moving. What's more, fan interest is starting to catch fire too, as evidenced by today's turnout. The hurricanes were. That was the the lead name to be had, but they were also uh, considering being called the Ice Dogs, which I don't know. And 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 Adam, there were some people that were upset that they were being called the Hurricanes, when that was basically a tribute to the resiliency of the state of North Carolina going through so many hurricanes and coming back on the other side. But there were a lot of people that were upset that they were being named after something that really is a negative to our state and. I'll take hurricanes over ice dogs any day. <laughs> uh, yes, I agree. Uh, I think we lucked out on the name situation there. Thankfully, no ice dogs. Mark Anderson, current president of the Hartford Whalers Booster Club. Yes, it still exists. And he was operating at the time under the, so you say there's a chance philosophy. At the end of the day, you always thought they were going to come to a deal. At the end, before it actually, you know, you never believe it's going to happen until it happens, right? I'm a baseball fan, so I'm also a bit of a baseball nut in terms of historian. So I know, I, you know, I've seen all the things about the Dodgers when the Dodgers and Giants left New York in the 50s. And Dodger fans would tell you, and you, you know, you saw it like on the baseball, if you ever saw the baseball miniseries that Ken Burns did eons ago. Mm hmm the fans never thought it was going to happen until it happened, right? They, they, until, until it became official that the Dodgers were going to move to Los Angeles, they never, ever, ever, ever thought, wow, this could really happen. They could actually move. And that was the way we all felt. We, we were all like, yeah, there's talk. And uh, the other thing about us is when Carmanos announced that he was going to move, Nobody knew where they were going to go. There was talk about an airplane hangar in Columbus, and it was it was six weeks later, I believe, that they settled on they settled on Raleigh. One of the problems with Hartford was Hartford, according to Rich Coppola. So the, the thing that I think people um, fail to realize is, you know, it, it's a team with without a you know didn't have a long winning history, certainly leading up to that. So, you know, ticket sales, some years were pretty good. Other years weren't very good. But they had a poor deal with the then Hartford Civic Center, now the XL Center, uh, where they didn't get, uh, you know, uh, concessions and parking. So a lot of it was on, was on ticket sales. And, you know, by the time the last few years hit, their TV deal uh, wasn't very good. I think it was a million dollars a year while – the Islanders at the same time had like an 18 or $19 million a year uh, deal. So uh, Emil Francis as a GM, when he signed, you know, that deal in the uh, 80s, uh, Ron Francis was probably the highest paid whaler at three or 400,000, I'm guessing. And then by the end of the deal, obviously you have multiple players making multiple million per year. So, you know, do the math. It was not a great fit. At some point, you know you got to tell the players where you're headed, right? Glenn Wesley remembers. Well, I think I think for us as a group, 
Mr. Carmanos actually uh, took us all out for dinner one night and he explained to us and told us that we were going to be going to Columbus. And so Columbus obviously never came to fruition. And I guess uh, with him meeting with Gary Bettman, and so it was finalized and determined uh, later on, shortly after that, after the NHL turned down and going to Columbus, that we were going to be going to Raleigh, North Carolina. You had been with the team a few years since the trade from Boston. Did you have any inkling at all that time was that that you guys could be moving uh, out of Hartford and you still didn't know where you would be going? I think the third year, you know, there started to be rumblings because the the city, the mayor, obviously the governor got all involved with the, all the politics of, you know, the team, you know, possibly you know, getting out of the lease and, you know, paying paying a, a fine and, and being able to move the team out of there. But there was obviously a lot of rumblings and, and, and there were, you know, a, a number of rumors and, and kind of everything was up in the air for us, uh, even as families. So there was certainly uncertainty for us all, but, you know, we and, and, and it was hard to play too. I'm not going to lie. Like everybody in their back of their mind was going, like, like what's going on? Where are we going to be going? You know, where are we going to be moving to? So it's, you know, it's a little bit up in the air. But we, but at the time, you know, Mr. Carmanos told us that we were going to Columbus, and then uh, that got shut down, you know, in a hurry by Gary Batman, and then we ended up you know, settling and and moving to uh, North Carolina. A glance at episode two, the Hartford dynamic after the break. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Next time, a look back at a truly unique Hartford market with some very real challenges. Hartford sports anchor Rich Coppola helps us out. You know, you talk about the identity crisis. Well, you know, being between New York and Boston, um, there's a lot of that goes that goes on here. And I'll tell you, the Travelers Championship, the old Greater Hartford Open, uh, I think one of the reasons uh, it does extremely well, uh, you know, wins awards as the, the, the player's favorite uh, tournament outside of majors, is because there's a, there's a great... Um, tradition and there's a lot of pride in the state that this is something that is truly ours 
We don't have to go to New York. We don't have to go to Boston. To, and they have to come here to see this tournament. And for a lot of people, that was the feeling with the Whalers as well. They're not Boston's team. They're not New York's team. They're our team. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sunday Sports Replay. I'm Kevin Nathan. Tonight, we'll hear from Tiger Woods on his record-setting Masters. We'll check in on the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Mets, plus profile someone who worked on the ice for the Whalers' first and last games. But first, it was a last game like none other, a day filled with as much emotion as any in the Whalers' 18 years in the National Hockey League. The Whalers' final game in Hartford against Tampa Bay, and fans saying thank you. Glenn Wesley says thank you very much from Robert Cron on the past. A couple of minutes in, the Whalers with a 1-0 lead. Fans loving it. And Sean Burke doing the rest, robbing Rudy Poshek. Also a Tampa Bay goal disallowed. Then in the third. Isn't that justice served? The captain, Kevin Deneen, with what would be the game-winning goal. The Whalers hold on to win their final game in Hartford. The final score was 2-1 afterwards. The players skated around the ice a couple of times, paying tribute to their great fans. I guess the reality is just kind of starting to set in on us. And, uh, you know, there's, there's disappointment to go around with everybody. And I guess we just wanted to acknowledge what a big part the fans have been to us. There was another element that made Hartford unique, as John Forslund notes, its proximity to Bristol, Connecticut. You have Yukon. And then there's Yukon and then there's Yukon and, and then there's the whalers. And for a lot of the young people that grew up in that generation, they love both of those entities. And a lot of them went to work at ESPN behind the scenes. So you had a large portion of their um, employees that love the whalers. And they also loved, you know, the perk of coming to our building and getting in the press box and, you know, all those you know, all of them, Tariko, all of them came, Levy, all of them were young, all of them came in at the same time, all of them came to our games, went out after the games. It was a great thing. Ah, the ESPN dynamic. This Kane's 25th anniversary podcast series is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcast. With special assistance from Rusty Helser, I'm Adam Gold. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. The Canes Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.